0: Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We have Christine Gershom continue our series, Going Deeper, which is an in-depth study on the book of Ephesians. We pray that as you listen to the word, it will help you examine your own life and to live with fresh conviction. Hi church, it's my joy to bring the word of God to you today. As you know, we've been doing the Going Deeper series where we've been looking at a, at, in a very in-depth way at if the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. And I apologize in advance um, if you see any eye-watering or blocked nose-sounding uh, words. I've had a bad flu this week, but by God's grace, I'm back on my feet. And even as we get into Ephesians 4, I've titled this sermon, um, Overhauled. And the reason being, um, you know, so often we look at our new life in Christ as just an accommodation, as something we just kind of bring into our lives. But I believe that um Jesus uh, calls us for an overhaul. When he comes into our life, he's not, um, you know, content with just a, a minor accommodation. He overhauls our life. And we're going to look in this chapter as to how he brings that about. Um, Ephesians chapter four, I'm reading from the NIV. We're going to go verse by verse and we're going to allow, God to speak to each of us. Each of our situations are different but I believe that God has a word for each one of us today if we would um, really lean into him. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What he's talking about here, Paul is talking about the calling that is on each one of our lives. And the common calling is that we are children of God. Once we accept Jesus, we are children of God. We're part of the family of God and we are followers of Jesus. We follow where he leads us. That is the calling. And the whole book of Ephesians, I have to give you a heads up. This book, this chapter, the whole of Ephesians 4, 5 and 6 It's going to be practical application for each one of us as Christians. How do we do this life that God has given us? Each of us have different tracks that we're running. But how do we do that in a way that honors God? That's what this is going to look like. That is what every um, verse henceforth is going to be looking at. It's very easy. you know. A lot of us Christians can just um, do this whole fake thing where we can come in on a Sunday, look very pious, look very holy and get away with it. But the truth is that Christ expects us to live a changed life from Monday to a Sunday, every single day. We're called to be all day, everyday followers of Christ. And what does that look like? How do I do it? Well, we can't do it alone. And we're going to understand a little bit more today on how God wants to change that in us. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What Paul is saying here is the way that we live worthy of our calling is when we actually have these, we demonstrate these characteristics, which is humility and gentleness and patience. Um, as I was preparing this, I just realized that in the beginning of the week I failed at all of those attributes while teaching my son his language. Um, I was so impatient, so unkind, um, so prideful in how I was teaching him that, you know, the Lord had to work, do a work in me. He had to ask me what I was trying to achieve when I was working with my child. Was I more worried about how I would be portrayed to his teacher or was I content to let my child find his footing, to bear with his, um, you know, the, his inability to learn certain things and to deal with him in love? That was what was required of me. And so I realized that it's not easy. It's not easy, but with Christ in the picture, with the Holy Spirit in our hearts, it's no longer an impossibility because he says in the next verse, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And we're going to look at what that actually looks like. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, when we just looked at how he says, make every effort to keep peace. But it's so difficult to keep the peace within the church because so often there are things that divide us rather than unite us. But Paul is bringing us back to seven things that are the unifying factors. He says, focus on the things that unite you. Don't look at the things that divide you, which is a good bit of advice for all of us believers today. And so what are the seven things that he lays down as the foundational principles for every Christian, for every follower of Christ? This is what These are the seven things. He talks about one body, which is the body of Christ, one church, the global church, the capital C church, one spirit who is the Holy Spirit who was given by Jesus to every follower of Christ, one hope. What is the hope that every believer has? Eternity with Christ, one Lord who is Christ himself. One faith that is a putting all of our trust in Jesus. That is the one faith that is common to all of us. One baptism. This could either mean, you know, water baptism or baptism by the Holy Spirit. And one God and Father overall, who is God the Father. He is talking about this triune God and all the other ligaments, so to speak, of the faith, the crux of our faith. He says these are the things that un- unite us. Focus on that. Don't look at all the things that divide you. And then he talks about this thing. He talks about God the Father and he says who is over all and through all and in all. And so this is talking about two very important aspects of the God that we worship. He is a God who is transcendent, meaning he is sovereign and supreme over all of creation. The next thing that he addresses is a God who is over all And through all and in all. And this is talking about two very important indivisible aspects of this God that we worship. And what are those two aspects? The fact that our God is transcendent, meaning he has sovereignty over all of creation. Over the entire world, he has an active presence. And there's another concept, which is immanence, which is in each of us followers of Christ, he is actively involved in our lives. So any theory that you hear which discounts one over the other is not an entire understanding of who this God is. Our God is actively involved in every aspect of what is happening around the world right now. He cares for the entire world. He is involved. But then he's also very avidly involved in the lives of those who follow him. He's working things out. He works through people. He works through situations. He's actively involved. And that's what he says. He says these are the things that we will agree upon as the body of christ this is these are the things that are non negotiable to so to speak and he says if you focus on this keeping the peace is easier we continue with verse 7 but to each one of us Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He, so here what he's talking about, he first talked about the global body of Christ. And now he's switching gears and bringing it to you and me, the individuals who make up the body of Christ. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, what does He ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So he's talking here about no longer just the global church, but he's talking about each one of us who as individuals make up this body of Christ. And he says God has given through Christ some gifts for this church. And what is he talking about? Ascended, descended is basically when Christ ascended after his resurrection, he appeared for 40 days and then he ascended into the heavens. It says that when he ascended, he gave gifts to the body of Christ, the church that was now beginning. It was birthed and was going to start spreading and increasing in numbers. He gave gifts to them. When it talks about descended, there are different theories that theologians have come up. They say that it, it could mean the grave. It could mean Hades. You know, we don't we don't know exactly what he means by that, but it talks about a descent which happened in death and then ascension in victory when he takes his place at the right hand of God, the Father. And so it's important to understand this as we get into the next part where he explains what those gifts are, that these are given by Christ to his church. Let's not pretend that these gifts are not non-existent or unimportant. They are extremely important because they were given to us by Christ himself. And what are these gifts? Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let's just dwell in that a bit. So these are gifts, the fivefold ministry, as they're commonly called, were given to the church by Christ himself for very specific purposes. They are not to be taken as, you know, empty titles. A lot of times we maybe have been put off because someone had this uh, title prefixed to their name and maybe they didn't live up to the the mark that you had in your mind. But here's the deal. Each of these ministries were given as gifts by Christ to his church so that the ones who fulfill those offices actually do it in order to equip the people for works of service, to, to release them into their purposes, their life callings and purposes, and also for them to grow in understanding and knowledge of the Son of God. And it's very important because the ultimate aim of these offices is to grow people towards maturity so that they will understand and live in the fullness of God for themselves. That is the purpose. So often we forget this. So often we look at those roles and and talk about hierarchy. We say, oh, the apostles came first, so they're the big shots. These guys, it's not about hierarchy. It is not even an exhaustive list because if you look in the book of Romans, it talks about certain other gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about gifts of wisdom, knowledge, healing, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. And so it's not an exhaustive list. It's not like these are the only gifts that that are given to the church. And it's not hierarchical, but the purpose of every gift that is given by the Holy Spirit, given by God to the church, is so that the body of Christ is built up. That's the gist of it. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, he's explaining why those gifts are so essential to the body of Christ. He says, if you don't have these offices, these five offices, and if they are not doing their job of training and equipping and maturing, individual believers will fall away because they run after every scheme that the enemy throws at them through false prophets, through people who are teaching heresies. We will run behind things because we will be like infants. So this is the opposite of maturity. An infant is the opposite of maturity. If you look at a little child, you, I find it funny when adults ask children stuff like, who do you like better, your mommy or your daddy? Both of them are the caregivers. Both of them are the ones who love them. But they'll ask weird questions and you should see a child will oscillate in their opinion. If daddy that day gave them a treat, daddy becomes the favorite. If mommy gave them the spanking, mommy is not the favorite that day. Infants... Operate with immaturity because that's just their age. But here he's saying full grown adults in Christ, those who are maturing day by day should be able to detect if a teaching is not in line with the word of God, should be able to detect craftiness in a person who's teaching them that they should be able to identify when there's a deceitful scheme behind a so-called teaching. That was the main necessity for these gifts. Christ knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to assault the church. He knew New Age doctrines were going to come in. He knew culture was going to hit the church. And so he was giving these gifts so that the church will rise up in maturity. So that individual believers will grow strong in their faith. We live in a time where New New Age philosophy is so popular. People will tell you this is what works. All roads lead to Rome. So... You know, you can follow Jesus. I can follow this, but we're all heading in the same direction. I'm sorry, but the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. It says that those who believe in the son of God are the ones who are assured salvation. It's that clear. There is no two ways about it. People will tell you a good God won't make bad stuff happen. A good God, yes, he doesn't make bad stuff, but he allows things to happen so that he will get the glory. So that we are shaped and molded into the image of Christ don't allow theology that is you know coming in newly that just kind of slithers into our lives people who tell you things just so that you know it it makes your i think paul talked about the itching ear theology they'll tell you stuff that you're really wanting to hear but that's not of god he says you need to grow in maturity so that you will know when you are being talked to by someone with a scheme in their mind with a cunning heart you will be able to detect it. That is the purpose of the gift. That is the purpose of the fivefold ministry. We have a teenager at home and so often, you know, teenagers want to be treated like adults, but they still sound like infants. And so very often in our home, you will hear my husband or me saying to our teenager, grow up because you want to be treated like a grown-up, but you're not acting like a grown-up. And those of us who know the Lord need to grow up. We need to be reading his word. We need to be avidly listening to his voice. So that the voices of culture, the voices of of those who believe in things that are not the truth will be revealed for what it is. Let's not be childish. Sorry, we're called to be childlike, but we're not called to be childish. Let's grow up. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and build, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So it's very important here. If you look at this, he says, don't be like a child. Instead, he's giving you an alternate. How do I know that I've matured? Am I speaking the truth? in love. Baby Christians, a lot of times we're so, you know, on fire for the truth and for God that when we confront people, we just, you know, say whatever we need to say, maybe tweet about it or do something. But as you grow in Christ and with Christ, you realize that you just don't say those things, but you say it in love. You don't just necessarily tweet about it, but you have a conversation over a table with that person. You realize that I can choose to agree to disagree and still be your friend. And that's what happens in maturity. He says, speak the truth in love so that in every respect we will grow to become the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So Christ is the head. So imagine a a, a physical body where Christ is the head and we make up the body. And he says that we are held together by supporting ligaments, grows and builds itself up in love. You know, in science, we have this thing called a growth factor. All our bodies have it. And then in the the labs, we add growth factors to, you know, cell solutions, to culture cells, to grow cells. These growth factors are all important because without them, the growth won't happen. So in our bodies, we have tons of growth factors that are constantly working. We have epidermal cell growth factors, which actually cause our cells uh, to keep, you know, dividing. Old cells fall off, new cells come in. We have um, organ factors which are helping the, you know, organs to function. In the body of Christ, it's no different. We need a growth factor and the growth factor is love. Without love, the body of Christ is not going to grow. In fact, it will probably start to die. Without love, without speaking the truth in love, the body of Christ is not going to flourish. So often we, we speak the truth, but we lack love. The truth without love is just harsh. Sometimes we keep showing love, but we don't speak the truth. We don't address the elephant in the room. And that's just flaky. It has no foundation. We are called as Christians to speak the truth in love. And that's what Paul emphasizes here. So is your modus operandi in the church, the church that you belong to, the body of Christ that you globally belong to, are you someone who emphasizes the truth but delivers it with love? That's very important. We go on to the next part of this passage which titles, Instructions for Christian Living. And this I find very confronting because it hits us right below the belt. We're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm probably going to fail at this even before I, you know, step out of this room right now. But let's not give up hope because we have with us the helper, the helper who is the Holy Spirit and who lives in us. And he is avid about improving us, of transforming us. So as we read this, I want you to not look at it with hopelessness, but look at it through the lens of you know what, Jesus, you're with me. Your Holy Spirit is in me. I know He's gonna help me walk through this journey. He's gonna help me do this Christian life well. Okay, with that, with that um mood, we're gonna step into the, verse 17. Verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So what does this futility of their thinking look like? So I was reading this week about, um, a serial killer in the America, in, in the, uh, U.S. He was active during 1970s, you know, during the 1970s era. And he was a serial killer who killed about six people, shot eight people. He was involved in a series of fires. Um, he would send threatening notes to the police. He would play, you know, it was almost like a hide and seek game with the cops. And he was, um, he was given a dark, um, titled by the police, he was called Son of Sam because he would sign his letters calling himself the Son of Sam. And when he was finally apprehended and they got to talking to him, they found out that he was committing these murders because he was involved with a satanic group and he f- believed that his neighbor's dog had a spirit in him that was forcing him to go and murder these people. So he was under the influence of a very demonic, um, you know, um possession. Fast forward about 20 years later, he found Jesus in the prison where he was, admit, he was um, you know, arrested and kept. He was kept there for about 365 years. That was how long his life sentence was for. And he found Jesus in that prison cell. And the interesting thing he says is that he said he went in there, his mind was shot. He was overwhelmed by darkness because of the, the entity that he had cho- chosen to follow and obey. His mind was darkened. He had no understanding. But somebody told him about the book of of Psalms. And so he started reading the book of Psalms. And Psalm 34 is what stood out to him. And he wept in that prison cell because it said, This poor man cried out and the Lord heard. And he said, as he read the book of Psalms, something happened to his heart. The heart that had been hard and dark began to melt and break in that prison cell. And he says, Jesus came through to him. Now, he he died in prison. He served his life sentence, but something fundamentally shifted. He began to reach out to those families that he had hurt. He asked for their forgiveness. He understood that as big a sinner as he was, he was forgiven. And he ministered to many in that jail till the day he died. He started a ministry from the jail and he's been a great blessing to the global body of Christ. But why am I telling you this? Because it says here in the futility of their thinking, before Christ, our minds were darkened. We didn't have an understanding. We didn't know all the possibilities that we could have for this life on earth and beyond. We didn't know that there was hope. When things that happened were so terrible, we didn't have hope that things would get better, that there would be something good that comes of it. Going to verse 18, it says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And I know for a fact that all of us, before we knew Jesus, we had hearts that were of stone. Like the book of Ezekiel talks about, you know, God promising that he will make hardened hearts, hearts of flesh. And so today I want you to come back to this place. To come to a place of looking at ourselves closely and saying, have parts of my heart gotten hardened? Because even those of us who've known the Lord a long time, sometimes when in a season of repeated setbacks, parts of our heart gets hardened towards God. You know, like, God, have you forgotten me? Are you there in this? Why would you allow me to get cheated? Weren't you there with me at that moment? Didn't you give me the go-ahead? Then why did this happen? And then without our knowing... parts of our heart get hardened but I want us to come back to this place of hope because we are not futile in our thinking our hope is that we have Jesus we have eternity and then on earth he promises fullness of life he promises peace he promises joy in the midst of our circumstances and that removes all futility And so coming to verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. He's talking about those who don't know the Lord, those who are pre-believers, the ones who have not yet encountered the truth of Jesus. And he says they've lost all sensitivity. They've, and as a result of losing sensitive, sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. They have given themselves over to every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. Now, if you're someone who has seen um, a person patient who suffered from leprosy, the first sign of leprosy is the loss of sensitivity. So a person, even today, leprosy is still... A disease that is contracted in even in developed countries, in well, in you know, for, very forward countries as well. Reason being, the first thing that the the bacteria does is it kills your sensitivity. So a part of your thumb just won't feel anything. And the scary thing about that is, even if you smash your finger somewhere or stub your toe and it's bleeding out, a person who has the leprosy va- bacterium will not even know it because they have no sensitivity. And so the enemy does this. F- Very interesting thing. Before he puts you into all out sin, he first kills your sensitivity. He will first dull in your sensitivity. Look at what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve is there. She knows what God said to her. Satan, as usual, twists what God says. Did God really see? And then she repeats verbatim, just like every other woman. Hey, this is what God said to me. And then he goes on to desensitize her. He says, no, it's not all bad. It will help you out. He desensitizes her to the concept of disobedience. He desensitizes her to the concept of rebellion. He desensitized her to her complete trust in God. He desensitized all of that first. So what did she do? She looked at it. She thought it looked good. She thought she'll get wise. And she decided to eat it. So sin starts when our sensitivity dullens. And so the point here he's trying to make is that when you lose your sensitivity, you give in to every other sinful attitude you're given to sinful behavior and the the symptom uh, i should say of desensitization when you read the account in the garden of eden is eve justifies why she actually ate it look good it's desirable it gives me wisdom i should eat it a symptom of desensitization in each of our lives is when we start justifying why we do what we do oh but i did that i mean it felt right at that time I didn't didn't have, you know, any sense that it was a sense of, you know, this didn't seem right. No, it just sat well with me. When we start justifying something that we're doing, it is a symptom of desensitization. Moving on, moving on to verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and we're taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Let's just stop there. He says, this is not the way of life you have learned. Now, he's talking about those who have come into Christ, who have accepted Christ. And he says, in Jesus, you found the truth. In Jesus, you found the fulfillment of everything else that you needed. And he said that, when you found Jesus, the old self had to be put off. Now, what is he actually talking about? Okay. So in our family, we have a very interesting phenomenon. So when I periodically deep clean all our cupboards, you know, things that the kids have outgrown, I give it to an orphanage or, you know, the maid's children or something. Or and so the one person's shelf that I'm never allowed near is my husband's shelf because he will say, This one, you know, I got when I was in 10th standard. This one, it's very comfortable fit. I know it's faded. But I will use it till it just frays. And so his cupboard has got clothes that are, you know, relics. And his concept is, yes, I do get gifts for my birthday and for Christmas. I will put that into the shelf as well, but the old stays. And a lot of times, weak believers are like that. Hey, you know what? I have new life in Christ, but the old stuff needs to stay because that's who I am. I, this is ingrained in me. This is how I'm wired. I, I like to tell creative stories. That's not lying. That's just who I am. I have news about everyone. I'm not a gossip. That's just who I am. I I have a ear everywhere. I tend to make comments about someone else in a church because they need to know who they're dealing with. That's not divisive. That's just who I am. This is how I'm wired. So we Christians are often not putting off the old self. We hold the old self and then want the new self to be put on top of that. And let's just say three is a crowd. That's too much. We cannot carry the baggage of the old with the new. Going on to verse 23, to be made new. So just to continue from where we stopped, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new, verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is where the concept of the overhaul happens. Now an overhaul requires that I look closer at myself and discard, literally take off the things that don't account for righteousness and put on the new man in Christ. Our mind has to be overhauled first. It's very important. He says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. If you're like me and an overthinker, Every attitude for me stems from my thoughts. Every assumption I make began in my thought processes. Every decision I make happens first. There's a full-blown conference in my brain. And only then will I make a decision. So which means if I need to be made new, if I need to operate like the new creation in Christ, my mind has to be overhauled first. And he says, when that gets sorted, you put on the new self, created to be like God. So then my idea has to change in my mind. Because if I'm someone who's prone to lying, who's prone to gossiping, the thought first starts here. You know, I need to tell them about what I heard, you know, from so and so. But I can kill the thought in my mind itself. No, I don't need to tell them. I heard about it, but it can end with me. I am tempted to twist the truth to play it to my advantage, but you know what, I can stop it right now and believe something good about this person. It starts in the mind, it ends in the mind. And he says, you need to be made new in the attitude of your mind and put on the new self. Jesus was never really concerned about just a behavioral change. He wanted to always go deeper. He wanted hearts to change. He wanted innate attitudes to change. And the behavioral change was an outcome of that. A lot of times we tell our children, you know, Um, just smile and look happy for this picture. But they would have just had this horrendous fight just before the picture. So we want the public thing to look good. But behind the scenes, we don't know what jumble of emotions are happening. And Jesus is always concerned about the deeper stuff. He doesn't care about the behavior changing immediately. He wants to go deeper with you. And so maybe you've been saying, now I'm a Christian, I need to act a certain way, dress a certain way, behave a certain way. All of that is okay, but he's going deeper. He's saying, will you be renewed in your mind? Will your heart turn from hardness to a heart of flesh where I can actually work? He wants to go deeper. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you. Now he goes on to the life application. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. So the visible signs of a changed life are now what, what we're going to look at. He says, you can no longer keep lying. Maybe lying was your currency, maybe it's your native language, but you can stop. Because the native language of the kingdom of God is speaking the truth with love. Lying and deceit cannot be part of this life. And the the funny thing is the world we live in operates with very cleverly marketed uh, concealed lies. They give you a a, a cream and they say, you know what, this is going to make you fairer in five days. Humbug, it's not going to do anything. They're going to give you a tablet and say you will lose weight and you're going to be looking swelt and in shape in 10 days. Not happening. The world markets in lies and half-truths, but the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. You and I as believers need to be ready to speak the truth at all times, even when it hurts, even when it's not convenient. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil A foothold. Three imperatives given for anger. Looks like anger is a common problem. It certainly is, right? He says another evidence of our changed life is our response to anger. Anger is a human response. It is normal to feel angry, but he's asking you, what do you do with that anger? Do you sin? Do you allow yourself to go down these dark paths where then you just unleash your tongue on someone? Or do you plot and plan and do something to someone because you were angered he says do not sin don't let the sun go down which means you don't dwell on it and just kind of soak in it so that it changes your very heart into one that is bitter and angry and and jealous and rageful and he says don't give the devil a foothold looks like there's a direct connection to anger in our lives to the enemy coming in it's an open door and so all of us need to guard this we need to Prevent the enemy from getting a foothold in our lives. We need to deal with anger the right way. It's very important to constructively deal with our anger. And so it's very important that we don't cling to it for long. We don't rest in it. We don't soak in it. We don't sunbathe in it. But rather we move past. An important aspect of this that I discovered recently was that we need to come to God with our anger and ask him to heal us. Because the anger may be very justified. What you're feeling, what someone did to you probably 100% justified but then what do I do with that angle or it's simmering beneath the surface maybe you just feel like punching a hole in the wall because you can't do it to that person but what if I brought my anger to God and say you need to get rid of this anger for me because it's so it's so latent it's there I wonder if we would let him if we let God deal with our anger Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Very interesting. He's giving an alternate to the one who thieves. He's saying, stop stealing. Do something useful so that you can share with someone else. And that's the beauty of the new life in Christ. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live in that old uh, paradigm, but we shift and we're able to see that whatever little I'm blessed with, I can bless someone else with. And that's what he's doing here, changed lives. The life that is changed by Jesus becomes radically different. And we have alternates. We are no longer stuck in this rut of, if I don't do this, I'm done for. No, when we put our faith in Jesus, he helps us find the alternate way, the way that honors him, the way that pleases him. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Someone had once tweeted, I don't remember who it was, but they said, their tweet read, sometimes my greatest ministry is shutting my mouth. It's true because a lot of times we have to bite our tongue and decide not to speak something because it's absolutely unnecessary, untimely, unwholesome. Sometimes we have to practice it immediately in our families before we even try it out outside. What if we kept quiet, maybe avoid that that one, you know, touching that raw nerve in our spouse? What if we don't name call our children even when they're behaving um, in a way that deserves that name? What if we choose to bite our tongue and say, I will not speak this because instead I'm going to speak something that builds the other one up. Growing up in our family, there was this one phrase that my mom would repeat to my brother and me. We used to watch this movie, Bambi way too many times and in that there's this little rabbit who just cannot control his mouth and he'll always say something insulting to someone and so that little rabbit's mother would tell him remember if you have nothing nice to say don't say nothing at all and so that was repeated many times in our home because my brother and I both had very big mouths. and so today I want to ask you would you choose to not speak if what you're going to speak is going to disrupt someone's life if it's going to cause division in the church let it not be unwholesome talk that comes out of your mouth. Instead, let it be something that builds another person up. This is not fake stuff. This is for real. It's, for, it's actually looking at them through the lens of Jesus, through the eyes of Jesus and saying, I see you growing in Jesus. I see you doing greater things for him. Maybe we don't speak behind people's back, but we speak to them. And speak life into them. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So here he brings it to a culmination to show us who actually is the one who brings about this whole overhaul. The agent of change, the agent of the overhaul is the Holy Spirit of God. God in spirit form, he is the one that is effecting this change in us. It is not us. Let's not kid ourselves. We don't have any ability to change on our own. It is the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is when I give in to anger, when I give in um, to, you know, rage, when I give in to malice, when I give in to slander, it grieves the Holy Spirit who dwells in me, who is with me. Uh, we, we know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means he dwells in us. We know that he's our comforter, our counselor and our helper, which means he's with us at all times. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm going to speak before I speak it. He knows my intentions. He knows the motives of my heart. He knows everything. And so it comes down to this, that will I still continue in the way that I've been going, you know, the old and the new mixed up? Or will I choose to give in to the new? Because when I hold on to the old, when I live in that way, it grieves the Holy Spirit who is the seal of our salvation. Now, What that actually means is, if you look at any of our documents, we have a seal that, you know, the government employee puts on it, basically to verify it, to certify that this is an authentic document. Now, when we are saved in Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, God puts the seal of the Holy Spirit on us. We now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, with us, to help us. He is the evidence of our, authentic, of our authenticity. He is the one who is displaying to the world because of the fruit that he will bear in our lives, because of the work that he does in my life, that hey, this one belongs to me. He belongs to the kingdom of light. He's part of my family. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he says, don't grieve him. Don't grieve him by the way you live. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So this is how he ends this chapter. He says these are some of the ways. He's basically summarizing all of what we saw and said, don't live like this, because these are the things that hurt his heart, that actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, the beautiful thing is that because we are in a relationship with Christ, when I want to live in a way that honors him, I don't do it out of a terrible fear, but I do it out of a love. I don't want to hurt his heart. I don't want to grieve him because I love him so much. Everything I do is motivated by this love. And so I want to come back to this and ask you if you have actually avidly gotten rid of the old and brought in the new. Jesus in Mark Chapter two, verses twenty-one to twenty-two. This is what he he talks about. Um, he's talking about the old wine in old wine skins, new wine in new wine skins. He says you can't mix the two. You can't take new wine and put it in old wine skins, right? He also said you can't take a old garment and put a new, unshrunk garment on it. What will happen when this one shrinks? It will rip away, tear the garment. What happens if you put new wine in old wine skins? The old wine skin has already expanded. When this starts to ferment, it will burst the wineskin. So what Jesus was saying is what I give you, the new life that I give you cannot be put into the old mindsets, old attitudes, old ways of living. It needs to be new. And when he says Two Corinthians 517, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's saying that I will bring new life to you and you are going to be, you know, it's going to be renewal on every level. It's not a superficial thing. It's not a hoarder mentality where you keep the old and you bring in the new also. No, it's discarding the old, taking off the old, putting on the new. That was what Jesus was talking because if we are to last, we need an overhaul. As followers of Jesus, if we are to last for the long haul, we need an overhaul. I need to get rid of the old. The old must go and the new must come. And so if you got nothing out of all of what I was talking, I want to leave two things with you. We need an overhaul of our idea of church. The first part, the first 15 verses of this chapter, we're talking about the gifts that were given to the church and what God looks for in this church. He's looking for maturity. He's looking for unity. He's looking for growth in love. He's looking for people who speak the truth in love. He wants to overhaul our idea of church. Many of us have come with these prefixed notions. You know, church is like this this place where everyone has to accept me as I am. But hey, this is the body of Christ. Christ is holy. Christ is righteous. There will be certain things that he expects from you and me. And we need to come in line with that. We need to come in line with that. We need to overhaul our idea of church when it comes to giftedness. Your gifts are not for you alone. It's not to edify you, it is to edify the body of Christ. Maybe thus far you thought, well, I have this gift, but maybe I can use this gift to manipulate that person to help me. Maybe I can use my gift to control that person and you know bring them in line with me. That's not the point of our gifts. Our gifts are in order that we will equip and mature others in the body of Christ, help them to also find their role in, in you know in areas of service, and then to grow together as a community. That is the purpose of our giftedness. So he wants us to, over, you know, get that idea overhauled. He also wants to overhaul our idea of love within the church. Christ is the head of the church. In order for the church to mature and grow, the growth factor needs to be love. I cannot even think of doing what I do on a daily basis if I lack love. The Apostle Paul says it so well. You can speak in tongues, you can prophesy all the live long day. But if you lack love, you are nothing. You're a clanging cymbal, which means you're just making a lot of noise. And I know that you don't want to be just a noisy vessel. You want to be one that is worthwhile, one that is used. And the only way that will happen is if our motive, if our motivation is love. So the first thing that he wants to overhaul is our idea of the church, giftedness within the church and our love within the church for each other. The second thing that he wants us to overhaul is our personal life. A lot of times we think, Who cares about my personal life? Who I show you on a Sunday is what my personal life is. I beg to differ. 166 hours of the day, of the week, is what happens behind closed doors, in office rooms, on the road, privately. And God is very, very avidly bothered about what we do in those 166 hours. Yes, the time at church is important, but what does your personal life look like? What does your private life look like? He wants to overhaul that. A lot of times we say, no, the Christian life is so hard. Why? Because maybe we have not gotten rid of the old junk. We're keeping the old junk and we're trying to bring in the new gems and it's not happening. I'm not able to accommodate the two. So the important thing with that in how we can overhaul, allow the Lord to overhaul our personal life is first of all, staying sensitive to sin. It's so easy to justify why we do what we do. It's so easy to justify, well, you know, I'm all alone. I'm lonely. And that's why I've been, you know, dabbling in this particular thing. Bring your excuses to God, but be sensitive to the sin in your life. Call sin for what it is. Let's call sin out. Let's not say, oh, you know what? I'm not addicted to porn. I just like movies. I'm a movie addict. Let's call it out. Because the minute we call it out, we address it. We're not desensitized to it. Let's stay sensitive To us sin. Each of us have sin in our lives. None of us are, you know, uh, devoid of sin. Every one of us has sin. And it's time that we get sensitive about it. What if I stay sensitive to the idolatry in my life? What if I stay sensitive to those things that are not pleasing God, which are deep inside me? That's one way to overhaul our personal life, staying sensitive. And secondly, to actively rid ourselves of old attitudes, of old mindsets. Let's stop saying this is the culture I come from. This is the family I come from. This is what my experience has taught me. Let's come to Jesus and say, Lord, overhaul my mind. Overhaul my attitudes. Overhaul the things that I thought was right. Bring me back to the truth, which is Jesus himself. Those are the ways in which we can overhaul our personal life, addressing sin, being sensitive to it and actively ridding ourselves of the old. The beautiful thing about this, this new life in Christ, you know, when we say overhaul, it sounds scary. But the beautiful thing is the fullness of life that Jesus promised is only found on the other side of the overhaul. It's not going to be found in this hybrid life of, you know, the old and the new. It's going to be found in the overhaul. And what if we're missing out on that fullness because we're so unwilling to let go of the old? So as I pray for you today, that's my prayer. That each of us, each of us, me included, would let go of the old. You know, that old bitterness that I like to keep bitterness like this, you know, wound that I like to nurse now and then. Because, you know, sometimes I'm bored. I just need to remember what that person did. What if I was to let it go and say, Lord, it's okay. I'm good without it. What if I've been angry for too long about the things that happened in my childhood that I'm not able to live the fullness of life that God promised me now? Maybe it's time to let some things go. So can we just close our eyes and can we just believe that, God, you have got a plan for us, a plan to overhaul us. It's not a plan to destroy us. It's, in fact, a plan to rebuild us. And I pray that each one of us will come to a place of complete surrender to you, Lord. Complete surrender. Every area of our life, take the old out. Take that old way of speaking out. Take that old deceit out. Take that old corruption out, of Father. and Bring in the new. Holy Spirit, can you just move right now in our hearts, in our minds, bringing to mind the things we've been justifying away as good, as okay. We want to live sold out for you. We want to live lives that are sensitive to sin in our lives. We want to live in a way that honors you, Lord. Father, if our idea about the church has been wrong all this time, overhaul that idea, Father. Overhaul that idea. Bring us back to your heart for the church. Bring us back to an understanding of what you had in mind when you instituted the church. Help us to desire the gifts that you have promised for us through your son. Help us to use those gifts to equip others, to bless others. Most of all, I ask that each one of us will have a heavy downpouring of your love, Heavenly Father. We need your love to love others. Can you just fill us up with your love? so that we will speak the truth in love, so that we will do good with love in our hearts as the motive, so that we will reach out beyond our comfort zone and love others. We love you so much. We're so grateful that you're so involved in our lives. We're so grateful that you are sovereign over the entire world, that nothing goes unnoticed, nothing is unseen to you. We love you and we thank you. Go before us, work in and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Even as you get into this week, could I urge you to go back to Ephesians 4 through this week. It's amazing when you read it, when you convert some of those verses to a prayer, the kind of power that it has in your life. Ask God if you're someone prone to anger or slander or lying, go back to and say, Lord, I want to live free of this. I want to do good. I want to speak the truth. Help me. It's powerful when we make these passages a prayer for ourselves. And so I pray that, you will experience an overhaul, an overhaul in your ideas of church, an overhaul in your personal life. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in Remember, whoever finds Jesus, finds life.